This episode is sponsored by Active Life. The more you walk or cycle, the more rewards you get, the smaller your carbon footprint. All at the touch of your phone. Gain active points and get rewarded for becoming a better you. Download Active Life on both Apple Store and Play Store. Hi, Asmin. Welcome back everyone to part 2 of our podcast on sustainable urban mobility for all. That's right. We had so much to say we couldn't possibly combine it in one podcast. In part 1, we spoke to Hafiz from Malaysia Musri Basikal and Johan, the sustainable mobility innovation lead at Urbanist. This time around, we talked to Urbanist Mitch Hu to talk about how we as communities can co-create sustainable urban futures together. So Mitch is, is an architectural and urban designer who is passionate about healthy, safe and inclusive cities. Um, and another one of her passions is people-centric mobility. Uh, so we'll be talking to her today about tactical and tangible ways that we can make our cities more inclusive uh, and friendlier. And how do we do that collaboratively? So hi, Mitch. Welcome to Resilient Together. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, it's really good to be here today. Yeah, I'm pleased to speak with you and share my passion in mobility with, with you guys. Really looking forward to hearing more. Um, but could you start a little bit with um, what you're currently doing? So currently, I am a project coordinator at the Business Council for Sustainable Development Malaysia, BCSD Malaysia. So BCSD Malaysia is a CEO-led cooperative platform and we work on sustainability initiatives focusing on six main areas. Uh, cities and mobility is one of it. So um, other than my day job, I'm also um, a freelance designer and also I'm also like a, an independent uh, researcher focusing on um, looking into issues like um, urban mobility and also climate change communication tools. That's so cool. Yeah, uh, and you mentioned a question about urban mobility. Just to get your view, your personal view, uh, what is sustainable urban mobility to you and what it should be? I think sustainable urban mobility for me, what it differs it from the traditional way of urban mobility is it, it plays more focus on um, humans. It focuses on equitable access to everyone and ensure the security and safety uh, for road users. Also, uh, at the same time, maintain the efficiency, uh, climate-responsive way of doing things. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's a really good definition um, that we can start with. Um, it's interesting, actually, because we first met Mitch during the last Malaysian Urban Forum in 2020, where you organized an event on co-creating roadmaps towards sustainable urban mobility. Uh, and we thought that was really brilliant. Um, could you tell us more about that session and how did it go and, and what were the main takeaways from that? Perhaps I could start with why I wanted to start this because um, I when I first came back from uh, Barcelona to Malaysia and it's a little hard for me to find uh, to work in an urban mobility consulting firm because it's, it's, it's such a niche field in Malaysia. So I was thinking to perhaps I could look for who are the stakeholders in uh, Malaysia and how we can work towards this um, sustainable urban mobility. That's why I, I, saw, I saw this opportunity. I thought that, oh, we could all come together and talk about issues um, about urban mobility in, in Malaysia. So uh, the interesting part is I get to learn more about the, the whole system as there are actually different players in this. So 
it's a very good opportunity to learn from uh, aspects from all of them, like constants. An important element we talk about is also like people-focused mobility solutions, where we also talk about women in mobility and also having more this uh, focus on inclusive mobility. That's so cool. Um, yeah, I wish I got to check out that session. I just want to touch a little bit more about the collaboration part um, and co-creation um, you know, how, how do we realize, make that process a reality? Yeah, I mean, before we start talking about like um, concrete actions on ground, we actually have to create an enabling environment for that, which is now is not really um, that apparent yet, I would say. So yeah, I think creating an envir- enabling environment is the first point. And also how do we make that is to first empower the users. Em- empowerment is a very important element. And also transparency is important as well, like making data uh, available for people so that we could um, use the data and we can get inspired the data, understand the current situation so we can have more ideas and uh, promote sharing of knowledge. Yeah, that's why I think uh, having this transparency is and empowerment is very important to encourage more civic engagement. Uh, so when you're talking about enabling environment, is it about acceptance? Yeah, I think uh, communication is, a, is an important um, element in this process because before acceptance, we all need to know what's happening out there and then visualize the, the, the possibilities. Some people like me, like really passionate in it. So I'm trying to convey the message to let more um, public know. I'm trying to, to simplify the, the message and trying to make some um, interesting bite-sized content where people could understand it more um, clearly. And also something that I would like to point out is also um, the interrelations of mobility and also other with other issues uh, such as like climate change and also like seeking these coalitions from different parties and interest groups is uh, important as well. For example, I attended a policy making workshop before. Uh, it's, it's focusing more on like youth empowerment and how youth can uh, engage in policy making. And to my surprise, there's actually a lot of youth that are interested in these debates in urban mobility and public transport issues. So they, they actually voice out during the, the workshop. So that's why I felt like, yeah, we, we have to seek coalition with more interest group, get more people talking about the issues to make, uh, to instill more awareness in this. And also something that I could share with you is like something that I observed from, from the other cities, uh, like Barcelona, they have this digital participation and democratic platform called Decidim Barcelona. So uh, what they do is they make data accessible, open data, and it's a digital space that forming part of the participatory process so that people could debate, respond, and also gather proposals on the platform, which is, I think, is a quite smart solution because it's like a crowdsourcing tool and it, it doesn't require a lot of money to it. It's a digital platform and uh, especially in this digital era, I think this is feasible. And by leveraging on this citizen uh, engagement and participation, so I think should be encouraged more public participation in this. I think that's something that's really missing from our um, planning and how we do planning. 
Um, I love the idea of digital participation and, and you're seeing a lot of cities now because of COVID, they can't do public engagement, right? So mm. they're doing it online, like you said, crowdsourcing and even just putting it on their website. Like, this is what we plan to do. What are your thoughts? And gathering that feedback. And it's kind of cool to, um, you know, to, to put it all together. Then you see all the views from more, more places than you would have gotten through a public engagement. But there's also the, maybe the divide, I mean, just based on experience working on community projects, a lot of the time, the people that come for the engagements are usually the older groups. Yeah. Uh, and then they tend to have a bit of a digital divide here. So th there still needs to be that bridge to get them online or, you know, they still need um, a representative to like to long, like help them to how to do it, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are your comments on, that, on, on, on digitalizing participation here? Yeah, I mean, um, of course, digital um, participation is more favorable for the younger community. So actually, um, the thing we are looking at is uh, a civic discussion should, should be a low barrier, low tech thing. But because of now, as what we can see, people that involved in the planning process, um, perhaps from the older generations, from what I think is like, perhaps we can take in more of the younger generation voice as well, because they are active. Uh, they have new ideas and yeah, they have this young, more energetic in doing things so they could push actions more faster. Yeah, and we're definitely seeing that with the younger generation here and I love that about diversifying the voices. And I think you're right, having different mediums will will be a game changer. Um, I think we wanted to talk about uh, tactical urbanism a little bit. Oh yeah. <laughs> Are you familiar with uh, tactical urbanism? Yeah, so tactical urbanism um, seems like a big word, but uh, I learned it by um, living, I mean, living in Barcelona, seeing the real life example. So I understand tactical urbanism from there. So for me, tactical urbanism is um, an uncurated, not really a lot of curation involved in the process, but rather a low cost, a small scale, temporary adjustment to a public space. So to encourage a better quality of life and also making the area to be more attractive and also safer for people to use. And also like you can have like these urban prototypes and also to test out your ideas. It could leave a great impact for, for the people that are involved in the process and also people that seeing this happen. That is what tactical urbanism means to me. How do you think this tactical urbanism will help to create a more sustainable cities and safer cities? Yeah, so for example, like when the street is more attractive, it involves more people to, uh, to, to engage in the street activities. So for example, like the colourful bike lanes, you, you make you like wanted to, to cycle on it. You wanted to try on it. Like how, how does it feel when I cycle on these colorful bike lanes? Or, uh, and also like it would make the roads more safer in terms of this when these colorful elements are on the road, drivers could be like more, move in a more slower speed because they, they will be more mindful about like pedestrian activities that is going to happen. Generally like creating more involvement in this um, street life. I think what's cool about whenever people do tactical urbanism or DIY urbanism is that like very visual example of what's possible um, and then the process of doing it together as well, right? I guess you've had experience with this as opposed to, for us, we're studying it, but I don't think I've seen it much in, in our cities yet. Have, do you have any examples of it in Malaysia? I, I don't have a concrete example that I'm working on ground, but yeah, like designing and envisioning it to have it happen. Yes, I, I do involve in design 
in the process as well. In Malaysia, I've seen a, an example from Urban Nefi. They have this really cool idea called ah, the chair. Yeah, the, the chair is a seat bombing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically, what they do is they they walk around the city. They identify the spots that. There should be seatings, but apparently not, it's not there. So they observe these spots and then they um, create chairs for them using some recyclable materials and just assemble it on, on the spot so that people could sit on it the next time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really, like you've mentioned a few times of essentially creating new ways that people can engage with their city, engage with their streets. And I love how you're saying with through tactical urbanism, you it's, it's to attract more and more people, maybe people that wouldn't have otherwise engaged with the city to come into the city and say, you know what, this space is our space too. How can yeah. we make it better together? You've said enabling environment a few times. Do you, mm. you want to elaborate a little bit on that? And like how, you know, how is that made here? Um, mm. Is it the setting? Is it uh, the facilitation? Yeah, for example, like the access to information. Let's say if I wanted to start something, but I'm not sure if I will like opposing any rules or regulations set by the authorities. Where do I find like like-minded people, same as me, that could help me to do this together? So what I'm trying to do at this point is to like spread information, like draw comics, draw doodles, to, to try to get this um, very intimidating knowledge to, to become a fun way of seeing it. And yeah, to get more people to understand the issues. Communication is so, so important. And yeah. So, so this, this also like links back to urban mobility. How do we inspire small changes? So for example, like cyclists, it's, it's so exciting to see so many um, cyclists cycling around safely in the cities. Uh, it's a very vibrant scene for me. But I would hesitate, uh, is it safe for me to cycle? And I would think about before, before I, I even try to engage. So I am aware of these issues and I know that a lot of people could have the same thought as what I think. So I also thinking like what I, I can do about this. Of course, like improving the road infrastructure is important at this point. And also I'm thinking to, to create this bikeable city, we also need to have more demand on this. But I mean, in Malaysia, most of us is just like recreational or even like labs cyclists. Like we used to cycle when we are young, but we, we don't cycle that often anymore. So how do we convert this possible group of people to take in the idea and to to make them cycle again, how do we um, motivate, generate more political interest towards this? Is is also important as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned about uh, political interest. Uh, we all see that we imagining our future. We will always require uh, a clear vision and political will, right? And to this step that you've outlined, lead back to this. And is there a way community can influence a decision or policymakers? I was thinking like, how do we incentivize more more uh, equitable access to to this transport model? What I have been thinking of like thinking like as if I'm a politician, why do I have to? Why do I want to invest to this unless I see this as an income generating activities? So. Perhaps cultural economy, cultural-based economy is a good way to looking at it. Like if it's a cultural hotspot, they would ensure that there's a lot of walkable parts and also you ensure the journey is walkable. But how about like this daily life? People would have to commute to work, but 
they are not living in a very attractive neighborhood. So how do they get benefit of it? So I was thinking uh, cultural-based economy could be a, a way to, to see like a pilot a pilot area for, for ideas to test out, focusing more on this high density, higher density places. So when when politicians see that, oh, okay, this works, like people would take uh, scooters traveling from place to place, cycling around and taking e-scooter around. So which means that this part of city could be a, a pilot places, pilot lab for, for this micro mobility to to realize their potential. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you said so far and it gives us a good stepping stone on, on where to start if, if people are looking at this for the first time. Really useful. You've given very tangible ways of like looking at sustainable urban mobility as a potential future for our cities. Before we leave, do you have any last words or, or message that you'd like to share? Yes, I think uh, so. One thing I would like to share here is I know that um, to, to make this a success, uh, behavioral change is really important in personal level. When most of the people are saying, uh, like talking about mobility as a service, this is a trend now. So I would also want to ask all the users to think about like the problem of ownership to convert it as a usership to try like you don't have to be a car owner, perhaps you could be a public transport user. Yeah, so, so this is, I think it's a good question to think about like shifting from an owner perspective to a user. That was really fascinating and very true of how the future urban mobility isn't so much about ownership, but also usership. Hence, more sharing and circular economies that we've already seen. Yeah, and it was good to get input um, on exactly how shared micromobility like the e-scooters can work with the support from cities. So let's recap. We've learned from cyclist groups what the issues are on the ground. We've learned what cities require um, to accommodate these needs. And we've learned about the process of making collaboration possible. We've also learned that mobility, which is the freedom to access your city freely, is a form of resilience, which is why we wanted to address it in our podcast and also touch base with all the different parts of the ecosystem to understand sustainable urban mobility better. If you're keen to collaborate, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Truly, the only way to create more resilient communities is by working together. Thank you for listening to this episode on Sustainable Urban Mobility for All. As cities develop, we must warrant resilience for our communities through equitable and cleaner modes of mobility. Collaborative Community Resilience is a platform that features exemplary stories of resilience by individuals, communities, and organizations. To find out more about what we do, visit our webpage at ccr.urbanismalaysia.com or find us on social media by searching Urbanismalaysia.